One Week Season. Circle fam, welcome to the week six Inner Circle podcast. It has uh, unsurprisingly become one of my favorite parts of the week. Always super cool to be on here live and see all the avatars, see all you guys hanging out. I really appreciate you guys actually being um, live for these. Not that it makes a difference, right? But it's it's fun to see so much of the community participating in this side of things and in, in the live aspect, especially because for the most part, most of the questions we're answering are the pre-submitted questions. I was thinking about this because it was a wild weekend on my end. Um, flew to Oklahoma on Sunday, fly back home on Monday to help Abby fly with the kids. Um, didn't feel great about her trying to fly with two sick kids and get in at one in the morning. So I did that. And then there was a chance that our flight was going to get canceled because we flew Southwest and they were having all these issues. And um, so I was going to pre-record this if that happened. And I was just thinking about, you know, the pre-recording would work because we, we don't get that many live questions, but it's pretty fun just to be on here live with you guys. So all that just to say, thanks. Fun to be here. Happy to be diving in this week. Originally, I was going to lead off this week saying, talking about how I always think about time and hitting certain time marks. And I always think about quantity and making sure that you guys feel like you're getting everything that you came for. And, and so I was going to pre-warn you guys that, you know, usually we do about 45 minutes for the Q&A and that today's might be more like 30, 35 minutes, but I didn't want to stretch it out unnecessarily. But now I am wondering if we might not get to all the questions because some additional thoughts held up, some additional things I want to talk about today. So we'll see how much we get to, but I'm really excited about tonight's session, which means I should probably go ahead and get started. The first thing I want to talk about is I started playing DFS in 2014, and it actually took me a little while to find Roto Grinders. Well, I started playing in 2013. Not seriously. And I started playing seriously in 2014. And I would do my research and gather my information on some site that probably doesn't exist anymore when I was doing MLB in 2014. Uh, and I finally found Roto Grinders and was hanging out in the forums a lot. And back then the forums were somewhat lively. And I think that they had noticed me on the forums because I was chiming in with good questions and good thoughts and clearly trying to learn the game of DFS, but also having quite a bit of success. And I'd mentioned at some point something about being a freelance writer and a novelist and probably came through in my super lengthy forum posts that I could work my way around a keyboard. And so I was at the live final that year in the Bahamas, which was the one that CSU Ram won. And I finished seventh place at that one. And Cam from Roto Grinders wanted to interview me. They were covering the live final live. And, and then after the interview, he and I were just chatting and he said, you know, you should write. So are you going to play NFL this year? And I said, I really don't know. And, or I guess he said, you know, he's like, you should write some MLB stuff for us next year. And I said, well, I could also write NFL. And he said, are you playing NFL DFS? I said, I really don't know, but I'm currently thinking I probably will. And so we started talking and, and 
built a good relationship, still have a really good relationship with, with Cam. He's one of my favorite people in the world. And uh, we get to first, first week of the NFL season that year. I, I give that background to say, you know, we had a good working relationship, good communication. And I submitted this first article and what I told them I wanted to do, you guys probably, some of you remember those original articles, which were those week one in which blah, blah, blah. And we would always start out with a story. And then I kind of basically break down my player pool, similar to the player grid these days. Um, But I submitted my first article and it was all about, it was week one. It was all about how little we know. And Cam mailed me back. He might've even called me and said, Hey, we need to change the angle on some of this because we are fighting this battle publicly that DFS is a game of skill, not a game of chance. And if we angle this whole article to talk about how little we know, it doesn't come off well from this talking about this being a game of skill. And that's always stuck with me. Obviously, we understand, and, and DFS has grown and evolved, and probably what a site like Rotor Grinders is comfortable talking about in terms of what we know and what we don't know has expanded a little bit. But this idea of DFS being a skill game, this idea of DFS being a strategy game, is so largely centered around the idea of us embracing the fact there's a lot we don't know. And the basically the communication at that point, and this was several years ago, this is 2014, it's, it's seven years ago, right? But the communication at that point was, if we say we don't know things, that takes away one of the pillars of our argument of this being a skill game. Whereas the reality is, if we embrace the fact we don't know things. That is where we find our greatest edge. So there is, there are a lot of layers. I mean, you guys, we talked about it on the Angles Pod this last week. WS doesn't make nearly as much money as some of these other sites. Well, these other sites that are obviously a little bit more focused on bottom line, their angle is going to be certainty. Their angle is going to be that we can find the right plays. And there certainly is an aspect of finding the right place. We're going to get into some of that in tonight's segment in, in very specific examples that I'm pretty excited about. But the strategy edge in embracing the fact that there's a lot that we don't know is so great, especially because it's almost taboo to say that elsewhere. How do you get people to sign up for your site if you're saying, well, we don't know anything? I think one of the coolest things of, of me kind of coming out of my very small bubble and expanding the site and being able to talk to different people and understand, hey, what is it that makes OWS members love OWS so much? And I've had a lot of conversations about this over the last couple of years, because if I can identify what that is, then we can more deeply emphasize those things and and you guys can love the site even more. And one of the things that Aaron Rotomaven really hammered into me in in our conversations was we really are the only site that focuses so heavily on training. And that's one of the reasons why we've continued to emphasize that side more and more and more. When we see this example of a a site saying, well, we can't 
write an article focusing on the fact that we don't know things because that takes away our argument that this is a skill game. Whereas realistically, identifying that there's a lot of things we don't know and then learning how to play off of that is what DFS is all about. That is what a large chunk of what this strategy game is all about. Now, again, there are things that we know and there are plays that we can identify as very strong plays. We also need to understand when we're trying to force a very strong play, we're trying to force a, a square peg into a round hole, right? When we're trying to force a very uh, uh, force a mediocre play as a very strong play or an above average play as a very strong play. And that's where we end up with not necessarily bad chalk, as Zandemir often says, DFS has progressed to a point where there's not that much bad chalk, but there certainly is bad ownership, right? A player who's a good play, but on a, on a week that doesn't have any great plays might become 20 to 25% owned. And there's no reason that player should be 20 to 25% owned on a different week. That player might be 8% owned. 10% 10% owned. And so understanding that, you know, the nuanced spec spectrum from A to B of A being the things that we know for sure and B being the things we don't know at all and kind of figuring out where different players, different games, different weeks land on that spectrum is extremely important. One of the things that I've said for a long time about DFS is that Fear is at the root of most bad rosters. Fear often comes from overrating what we know. The fear of missing out on this great play. And so that's this thinking, I think I talked about it last week, where if we see a play who's highly owned, the thought shouldn't be, well, this guy's going to be highly owned. I have to play him because I can't miss out on those points. And we all know that at this point, if, if you're in inner circle, you understand that that's not the thought that you should have, but that's still a thought that you have. And I know that that's still a thought that you have, because it's still a thought that I have is you see a play and it's like, man, yeah, but if this guy, if this guy hits, everybody has him and I don't, that's fear-based thinking, right? The other side of that is identifying a low owned play or team or game Think about the value of a low-owned team or game when you get it right. Because we often talk about the reason we bet on a team, the reason we bet on a game environment is because if you get it right, you get one thing right in order to get three or four roster spots correct. So it's one thing to identify a low-owned play. You get it right and you get that one roster spot right and you gain some separation from the field in that one roster spot. But what about low-owned games? teams where you get three or four spots right on this one low owned bet. This fear creeps in that says, well, I don't know if they're going to have a big game. Everybody else is talking about this game or this game or this game. This game's going to be super highly owned. Oh, well, this game is the second most popular game and maybe it should be the first most popular game. So I'll go there. This game is the third most popular game, and maybe it should be the second or first most popular game, so I'll go there. And it's much harder to keep moving down that ladder and get to that fourth or fifth or that unpopular team or game. It's much harder to get down there and then let go of that fear that says, well, 
if I play this and I'm wrong, I'm getting all these spots on my roster wrong. Instead of if I play this and I'm right, I'm getting all these spots on my roster right. We're going to circle back around to that here in a little bit. But I want to talk about my player grid and why I approach it the way I approach it and kind of break it down a little bit. Because the way that we're going to optimally put rosters together is the pieces that the individual players go for had to have its scores, individual games or teams can produce had to have its scores, then the value pieces that can allow you to put those rosters together, which is where the bottom-up build comes in. So blue chips, blue chips and bonuses, those two categories of the player grid, and you guys probably remember it was last year that we shifted over to this format for the player grid, because as we realized like, okay, the OWS audience is way smarter than I ever gave it credit for in like 2018, 2019, before we had the discord, before I had all these extra people working on the site and being able to give me feedback and say, hey, this is what people are talking about. This is what subscribers are talking about. These are the things they're asking about and learning about. And we started recognizing like, okay, we should really be expanding the way we're talking about things. And so we switched the player grid to be focused less on tier one, tier two, tier three, where it would often be like, people would say, okay, so should I just try to squeeze as many tier one plays in as possible? Should I try to just fit as many players in the player grid as possible? And there wasn't that talk about, hey, how do we put these rosters together? And so we started focusing on that more last year. So the idea being, Optimally, we find a game environment or a team to bet on, and then we put in individual players that we feel can produce had to have its scores. And where necessary, we put in the volume play, the value plays that can allow us to fit everything in. So blue chips and bonuses are these two categories of the individual players that are going to go in around our game or team environment. The guys who we're going to play as one-offs. And maybe we play them in a correlated manner. Maybe we have a bring back from the other side. Maybe we end up stacking around them, right? Like Devontae Adams last week was a blue chip piece. One of the ways you could play him was to build around Devontae Adams, right? So you have Devontae Adams plus Joe Burrow plus two Bengals wide receivers, something that we talked about last week. But the blue chip plays can be played in just a totally isolated manner. Blue chip plays, we basically define them as guys with a low likelihood of failure, a high likelihood of a had-to-have-it score. So we talked about this somewhat often, but keep in mind that for DraftKings pricing, DraftKings is going to typically put guys in a range where they're going to get 4x their salary about once every four weeks. So if you look at historical scoring on a guy like Dalvin Cook, on Devontae Adams, on Christian McCaffrey, on... Henry on these higher priced guys and guys who have been producing at a high level for long enough for, for their uh, pricing to stabilize. What you find is typically on average, once every four games or so, these guys are going for four X the salary they're placed at. So as we've talked about, as we get into the higher ranges of the salary cap, we're less concerned with salary multipliers and more concerned with raw points. So a four X from one of these guys who costs eight K that's not really a had-to-have-it score. That's 32 points. As we saw this last week, you can get 32 points from all, you can get 30 points from all levels of pricing tiers, especially on a week when things kind of come together just right. What's a really a had-to-have-it score up there 
are these 40 pointers. It's rare that you're going to find a 4K or 5K guy who can put up 40 points or who will put up 40 points, I should say. So the guys like the Devontae Adams, and this is why we talk about paying attention to who you're actually rostering at the highest end of this price range. Because on a week like this last week, when you get 34 from Derrick Henry, you get 40 plus from Devontae Adams. Well, if you're rostering the high-priced guy who's kind of capped at about 30 points, you're now losing ground on these other pieces. I wanted more Justin Jefferson than I had this last week, and I had him on two out of six builds. One was with Devontae Adams, and maybe I only had him on one out of six builds. I did have, have him on only one out of six builds. Um, I wanted more of him, but he cost 7700 and Devontae Adams cost 8200 Justin Jefferson, over a long enough timeline, is probably going to produce a 40-point score once every 12, 15 games. He's young enough that we could be wrong on that. But given his role, given the offense that he's in, given the way that they play, even just taking those factors into account, he's probably going to put up a 40-point score like once every 12 to 15 games. Monte Adams, we know, can put up a 40-point score once every five or six games. And so it was very difficult to justify going to Justin Jefferson on a week when I really liked everything about Devontae Adams. So in that place, I have to make a sacrifice and say, yes, I really like Justin Jefferson this week. And this could be the week when Jefferson goes for 40 points and Devontae Adams goes for 20. But And, and if we played out the slate over and over and over again, given the gap in ownership, technically Justin Jefferson is going to make you a little bit more money. But I wasn't betting on Justin Jefferson in a game environment. I was betting I would have been betting on him as a one-off play. So when you're taking these one-off plays, a lot of times the sharpest thing to do is just to take certainty. Take the plays that you feel most comfortable with, because as long as you're doing things different in other spots on your roster, you don't have to differentiate in every roster in every spot on your roster. I love I, I brought up this example last week, but I loved what Mike Johnson talked about when he broke down that 40k FanDuel win that he had. A, a couple of weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, where he basically built his roster. And then after it was built, he assessed whether or not there were things that he needed to change on it in order to give it a good path to first place. In other words, build the roster first to say, okay, this is a roster I like. These are all plays I like. This is a really sharp way to build. And then after you've done that, assess and say, okay, at a Josh Allen and Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders stack, this is different enough. I don't have to worry about ownership on other individual pieces here because I have done something that's going to be very different from what the field is doing, and I have a roster that I like. It's also, I think that a lot of times people have a tendency to try to tackle five DFS elements at once. Maybe you've done very little research and you're trying to build a roster, but it's a lot to narrow things down to what stacks you want to focus on, what teams or game environments you want to focus on. And then it's a lot to narrow down who the sharpest running back plays are on the slate. It's a lot to narrow down where the best values are on the slate. It's a lot to narrow down where salary should be best spent on that week's slate. So maybe it's a thin week for tight end. And so you can say, okay, you know what? What am I going to do? Pay 4K and just hope I guess right on a tight end? Or do I just go down to Ricky Seals-Jones at 2,500 and take the savings and take the five to 10 points and move on because tight end is so thin this week? And so it, it takes a lot to kind of 
balance out all the positions, balance out the entire slate to figure out how you want to attack things. And a lot of times people just kind of try to figure out everything at once. And so what that does is they only maybe get one or two layers down across the board. It would be better to get like five layers down in your thinking at two positions and then zero, you know, still be on layer one at the other positions than to just be, you know, one, two layers down across the board. So thinking about kind of basically on a week like this last week, it was very comfortable for me to say, all right, Devontae Adams is my favorite wide receiver play. Like that's a starting point for me. I want Justin Jefferson. I also want Alexander Madison. If Justin Jefferson is being put on a roster at the expense of Devontae Adams, I have to really balance that. Furthermore, I believe that my one Justin Jefferson roster had Aaron Jones on it. So furthermore, you're saying, okay, well, then let me at least balance this. Let me gain some leverage here so that I'm doing something that, you know, I'm saying, I'm not just betting that Justin Jefferson has the better game than Devontae Adams, but I'm also saying, okay, so how does Devontae Adams lose those points? Let me get those Aaron Jones points instead. So blue chips, low likelihood of failure, high likelihood of had to have it score. And again, we're always looking at this nuanced spec spectrum across the pricing range where it's like, what you what is a had to have it score for an eight, 8K player is different from a had to have it score for a 4K player. Basically, in tournaments, you want those cheaper guys. We've talked about this before, but we'll we'll talk about it a lot. You want those cheaper guys to have 30-point upside. That doesn't mean that they're as likely as the expensive guys to get to 30 points. If they were as likely, they would be priced higher. But you need those guys to have that type of upside. As you get up to the 6K guys, you know, optimally you can get to 25 to 30 points a good amount of the time. And they should have some outlier potential for 40 points, 35 points, 40 points, whatever it might be. And as you get to those higher priced guys, 30 points is not going to cut it. I mean, it's fine if you get it, right? You're not complaining if you get 30 points from any player. Raw points are great. But you need players who have that potential to go for 45, 40, 45 plus. So bonus plays. Bonus plays are guys who essentially failure is still very much in the cards, but there is potential for a had to have it score. And again, that's price considered. So a 7K guy, we brought up Austin Eckler this last week on, I think it was on the Angles podcast. As far as players who were going to go totally overlooked because of the way that the slate was shaking out and the way the pricing was shaking out. And so Austin Eckler is the type of guy who you can say, he not only is he going to go totally overlooked, but he can put up 30 to 40 points. He doesn't need everything to come together to put up 25 to 30 points and if everything comes together, he can put up 35, he can put up 40. Those are the types of places where you can actually gain an edge. If you're going to the 7K guy who's low owned and he can put up 25, that's not really gaining you any type of edge. And it's easy. It should be easy to cut those guys off of your list pretty quickly. So again, misplays, you're saying, look, it's failure is in the cards, but there is potential for a had to have it score against their price tag. And then the build arounds, and this is important, and I think that this is probably one of the most overlooked elements from the sharpest DFS players, the players who make the most money because they understand DFS strategy and theory really well, they piece things together really well, but they also probably don't know the NFL as well as some other people, and that is the true had-to-have-it teams and games 
Remember back to our first Inner Circle segment. I broke down that game changer when I had last Thanksgiving, where there were only two games on the slate, but my roster put up over 200 points. And we talked about how was that possible? Well, that's because the Texans scored over 40 points that day, and the Washington football team scored over 40 points that day. Teams that can score 36 to 40 plus points. We talk a lot about that Titans trio, the Ryan Tannehill, A.J. Brown, and Derrick Henry how they go for 80 plus points as a combined group way more often than most people would expect. Well, if you go back through those game logs, those are all games where they scored 35 to 42 or more points. That's where we get huge production. So when we're looking for these games, these teams that we're hoping to build around, what we're really saying is this is a spot where I think 40 points can be scored. And if we can simplify things in that way, that can help us to better identify where those games might be. So, okay, that's kind of why we break down the player grid the way we break it down. I am going to walk through a couple potential rosters from this last week. These are not rosters that one of these might actually have been built by somebody I don't know. One of them definitely was not built by anybody. You'll see how evident this roster is when we talk about it and how perfectly it comes together from looking at these elements, right? The individual pieces with had to have it upside, the game environments or teams with had to have it upside, and those value pieces that can allow us to fit these in. The first, well, and I'll, I'll, I'll start with this, actually. So I ended up building six rosters this last week. Five of those six rosters had, or four of those six rosters had Derrick Henry. Five of those six had Alexander Madison. Four of those six had Devontae Adams. And four of those six had Kadarius Toney. Those four players combined for 138.5 points. So if we're targeting... 200 plus points on a roster. Well, I have 138.5 of those points with five spots left on my roster. Now, unfortunately, uh, on the two rosters, or two, two out of six rosters where all four of those players were on together, uh, my other five players combined for about 30-ish points. So I ended up being like a break-even weekend in spite of having a really sharp core of individual players. And that is because the next piece, my game environment bets, did not end up. Now, realistically, oftentimes your game environment bets or your team bets should be the starting point for your roster, not the individual players. Because if it's the individual players, then you start looking for the value stacks that can allow those individual players to fit in. And as we talked about, when you get the team right or the game right, you get three or four roster spots correct. So that really should be the first focus. And actually saying that out loud, that was probably one of the mistakes I made this last week was I was more focused on the individual players than I was on the X as the starting point. So one of the things we talked about this last week was that nobody was going to be on the Browns and Chargers game because people had been on Browns and Vikings the week before the score had been 14 to seven, and that was going to stick in everyone's head. I loved what Zandemir said on the Saturday show with, with he and Hilo He's talking about Darren Waller and Darren Waller's ownership projection and Darren Waller's targets, 19 in week one, and then seven, seven, and seven. And Zandemir said, what would Waller's ownership be if the 19 targets were last week instead of the 19 targets having been in week one? So 
same thinking could have applied to the Chargers and Browns game, right? We'd seen the Chargers have disappointing outputs. Their defenses played well, and they had disappointing outputs against really against Kansas City as far as that game environment as a whole. I think Kansas City scored 24 in that one. I think Dallas scored 20 against them. Um, I could have these numbers slightly off, but they'd had these game environments where it just hadn't really popped. And then the Browns were coming off the game against the Vikings. That was 14 to 7. And then, as we mentioned in the Sunday morning email, that total was dropping throughout the week. But if you look at what, how many teams really are there, how many quarterbacks really are there that can throw four or five touchdown passes? How many teams are there that actually can score 40 plus points? Chargers are one of only a handful of teams that can actually score 40 plus points or that will actually do that more than once this season, more than likely. So finding a spot like that where you can say, okay, here is a game environment. Let me forget about the fear that I have that I might be wrong on this. What if I'm right on this? So from that game, this is just an example of how you could build around it. Obviously, we're cherry picking after the fact. But an example of how you could build around it that would make sense if you said it beforehand, right? None of us were thinking about this last week. But if somebody had said this last week, it would have been like, yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. We all would have, our first inclination would have been to argue about the reasons why that game environment could fail. But what do we always say? We say, if you're thinking negatively about a spot, shift over, force yourself to think positively. What is the positive case in this spot? So Chargers against the Browns, if somebody had said, hey, what if this game shoots out? Well, if this game shoots out, you're obviously not taking the passing attack from the Browns as your starting point. You're going to say that the catalyst for this game shooting out is going to be the passing attack of the Chargers. But let's say we go with Herbert, Austin Eckler, and Mike Williams. One of the most logical bringbacks on that roster is David Njoku. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, nobody would have thought of playing David Njoku. Um, one of the most obvious and logical bringbacks on that roster is Kareem Hunt. Because if you're saying the Chargers put up, again, we're not talking about them putting up 25 points. We're not talking about Herbert throwing for three touchdowns. We're talking about them going for 40 points. We're talking about them posting a had-to-have-it score as a team. If they do that, what is happening the Browns, whether they're going to be passing more, Kareem Hunt's going to be on the field more, Kareem Hunt's going to have more opportunities. So if you had a starting point, if you said, all right, let's be ballsy this week. Let's take one roster, one roster where I'm going to embrace this fear a little bit and just say, cool, maybe I'm wrong on this, but let's go all in. Let's go Herbert, Eckler, Mike Williams. And what's the most obvious bring back? Okay, well, Kareem Hunt. Let's go with Kareem Hunt because we know that from a floor ceiling perspective, that's actually a much better bet than Odell Beckham. Uh, and we know that he's going to be involved. We don't have to worry about, you know, maybe Beckham sees three targets, maybe he sees seven, maybe he sees nine. We know that Kareem Hunt's going to get touches in this type of game environment. Now we have four spots taken care of. So what would be the next thing we would do? We would say, okay, well, we probably can't, fit in Derrick Henry. He cost 9K. We've already used two running back spots, one of them on a running back who cost 7.6K in Austin Eckler. So we're now basically saying, okay, hopefully Eckler matches or outscores Derrick Henry. We've got two running back spots left. So who were the other guys that, for my builds at least, that I had isolated as the main pieces I was trying to fit in? Well, it's Madison, 
Madison was going to be kind of the first piece on a roster regardless. So we're, we're not typically using running back in the flex, but this is a great spot to do it because Madison costs 5,500. What other wide receiver are we going to find at 5,500 that has the same type of floor ceiling? already have two running backs taken up with our game environment bet so we're going to put madison in the flex on this roster and that still leaves us plenty of cap space to put in Devonte adams and Kadarius tony and then say okay what do we have left to work with does this fit well we are left with a 0.9k in salary which gives us room for ricky seals jones at tight end we say all right look this is not what's going to win us the tournament but we have this very low owned stack it doesn't even ricky seals jones ended up relatively low owned under 10% in most tournaments. Ricky Seals Jones could have been 40% and it's fine, right? You've got a Herbert Eckler, Mike Williams, Kareem Hunt stack. All these guys are under 5% owned. Nobody has all these guys together. You can do whatever you want in the rest of your roster. Now fit in our favorite plays, which is Kadarius Tony on my end. Favorite plays were Kadarius Tony, Dante Adams and Alexander Madison. Then I, I actually ended up on one of my six rosters this last week using the Philadelphia defense because the thought being everyone is just acting like Sam Darnold is a pro bowler. Now Sam Darnold is still going to have some games with mistakes. Everybody was on the Washington defense this last week, over 20% owned, even though we've all been picking on the Washington defense all season. So the thought was, okay, other cheap defenses, the Texans, I took them on one roster that did not go as well as Philadelphia. And then Philadelphia on one roster, Philadelphia ended up scoring 14 points. So Philadelphia was 2.2 K Ricky sales. Jones was 2.5 K. We take these value pieces, the bottom up build pieces that allow us to unlock this low owned game stack and our favorite blue chip and bonus plays in Devontae Adams, Alexander medicine, Kadarius, Tony. Uh, we end up with 271.72 points. The Millie Maker winner this last week was 260 points. Most other contests were about 245, occasionally 250, occasionally 255. But basically, that wins every contest, every tournament out there in week five. And all we did was we just identified a team that can very viably go for 40 plus points because they're a team that can do that in any neutral to soft matchup. Well, the Browns are a neutral matchup. They played well sometimes. They played poorly sometimes. Uh, Jadavian Clowney was out this last week, which obviously helped as well. Uh, I believe we didn't know that until later in the afternoon. But so finding just that one stack and saying, okay, cool. We've already sorted everything out. We've already figured out this week. We know who our blue chip and bonus pieces are. Who are our favorites from this bunch? Well, let's get them in there and let's see if that works. Okay, it does work because we can take these two values that sort of unlock everything. At this point in the week, we would have already identified that tight end was thin. We all knew that tight end was thin last week. I ended up with, I think, two, maybe even three out of six Dan Arnold rosters. So you guys know I was on the Jaguars this last week against Tennessee. And it was like, okay, what's a way to sort of unlock some things on these rosters? Well, instead of trying to fit in Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chenault, let's do Dan Arnold plus one of these wide receivers. They traded for him. He'd only been there three days before their their his first game with them. So we can throw out those stats from that first game. They traded for him. Clearly, they want to use him. Dan Arnold, 2,900, was on three of my rosters because basically it was saying, look, tight end is thin. If I can get 8, 10, 12 points from Dan Arnold, I'll be thrilled. Maybe Ricky Seals-Jones fails and I get these points from Dan Arnold. So similar thinking, right? If I would had a little extra salary, this roster would have had uh, this hypothetical roster would have had Dan Arnold. We had a little less salary. So we say, look, tight end's not where we're trying to win this week, but this allows us to unlock the rest of this roster. 
Uh, another example from this last week. This one was fully in the player grid, by the way. Tom Brady plus two wide receivers plus a bringback was one of the things that we talked about. Uh, Alexander Madison. Okay, so this this roster, the core bet, the, the game environment bet is Tom Brady, Mike Evans, and Antonio Brown. What's the negative case here? It's easy to be like, well, Tom Brady's a pocket passer. He's one of the most expensive quarterbacks. And, you know, what? You need him to throw for four or five touchdowns for this to really work out. The positive case is, and the Bucks go for 40-plus points. Yes. And are most people going to have Brady plus two pass catchers? No. So there's a starting point. Technically, you don't even need a bring back in this game because the Bucks are a team, the, the Chargers are not going to put up 40 points unless a team is at least somewhat keeping pace with them. Bucks could win 42 to 7. They're comfortable attacking deep into games. So you don't even need a bring back here. But because you can't run on the Bucks defense, and because the Dolphins had a fairly concentrated target tree coming into this game, it's sharp to do a bring back in this spot. I'll actually tell you, this is back-to-back weeks that I had a totally off-the-wall running back that kept popping into my mind, and I just gave it no credence, gave it no time. Uh, two weeks ago, it was Cordero Patterson. This last week, it was Miles Gaskin. I almost put Miles Gaskin in the player grid this last week because the thinking is, look, you can't run, and who's the Dolphins' best pass-catching back? Miles Gaskin certainly did not see that type of game coming. I had him on zero rosters. I never truly considered putting him on a roster. If I put him in the player grid, I would have considered him, so that's too bad. But the bring back that I'm putting on this roster is Mike Gusecki, who disappointed. He put up 8.3 points at 4.2K in salary. So we're trying to be realistic about what we might have built here. So Tom Brady, Mike Evans, and Antonio Brown. Now, when I was building this roster, which again, this is a hypothetical roster, but when I was building this roster for tonight's inner circle, I did not put on Gusecki at first. My first thought was, I will leave tight end flexible to see how salary shakes out on this roster. I will only put on Gusecki if the salary works. Obviously, this is going to take more than uh, 45 minutes of our time, but we'll get to as many questions as we can, because I do want to make sure we get to everything that I I kind of have to talk through tonight. Um, So Tom Brady, Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, that was the starting point, not Tom Brady, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, and Gusecki. Gusecki is saying, okay, look, if we can fit him, we fit him. If not, fine. So what's the next step? Who are my favorite plays on this slate? Derrick Henry, Alexander Madison, Devontae Adams, Kadarius Tony. Well, we're not fitting Derrick Henry on this roster without making major sacrifices, but we can fit Devontae Adams, we can fit Kadarius, and we can obviously fit Alexander Madison. So what we have now is Tom Brady plus two pass catchers, plus Devontae Adams, plus Kadarius Tony, uh, plus Alexander Madison. In the player grid was actually Chuba Hubbard. Um and I did not have DeAndre Swift, which I was actually surprised by when I went back to look at it because Swift was, you know, a perfectly fine play this last week. I actually put Hubbard on this roster originally so that it could be a pure player grid roster. Uh, what that ended up doing was that led to Gasecki at tight end and then 2,700 left for defense, which would have been the Chargers defense, which obviously went horribly wrong this last week since that game shot out. Uh, So I kind of 
budged a little bit here and went up to DeAndre Swift, which tightened up the salary at defense a little bit, ended up with Gasecki at tight end, and ended up going to the Eagles again at defense special teams. Uh, so this team, Tom Brady, two pass catchers, Gasecki, Madison, Kadarius Tony, Devontae Adams, uh, DeAndre Swift, and the Eagles defense put up 255.64 points. Again, Millie Maker winner was 260, and then this would have basically won any other tournament. Now, let's look at that Millie Maker winning roster. Tom Brady, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, Kadarius Toney, Devontae Adams, Alexander Madison, Chuba Hubbard at 6K. Basically, seven pieces from the player grid, seven plays that would make a lot of sense as the starting point on this roster. And the only two things that they did differently, remember, if I had had Hubbard, I would have then had Gusecki, and I would have had the uh, salary would have led me to the Chargers defense, which would have taken like 20 points off the board for me. But what the Millimaker winner did this is pretty ballsy, is instead of bringing it back with Gusecki, even though they had salary in that price range, they went with Hunter Henry and then the Vikings defense. Hunter Henry is another one you guys might recall that John Smith was in the player grid. About Saturday, I kept thinking, okay, Patriots are down four linemen. So John Smith is one of the best blocking tight ends in football. I don't think most people think of him that way or realize that that's the case, but he's one of the best blocking tight ends in football. So it's likelier that they leverage his blocking to sort of protect the pocket a little bit and that Hunter Henry gets a little bit of extra run. I think Hunter Henry was a super sharp move. Again, very ballsy to say, look, I'm in the price range where I could bring back Gusecki on this roster, but I'm not going to. I'm going to play Hunter Henry instead in the Vikings defense. This Millie Maker winner scored 260.8 our roster that had basically the exact same foundation scored 255.6 and would have finished slightly behind this roster in the Millie Maker. But again, Millie Maker winner beating hundreds of thousands of entries, basically taking this exact same approach of saying, let's find the team that can score 40 plus. Let's then see what pieces we can fit in around that. that we like, let's find, and this is why we identify things the way we identify things. Why we say, Let's not try to just build our roster all at once, but let's identify the individual plays that we think can truly separate us from other rosters on the slate. And then let's find the individual games that we think can truly separate us from other rosters on the slate. And then where necessary, let's make sure that we know the value plays that we like and that are at least sharp and that are available. So you notice on this second roster, we didn't need any of those value plays. This Millie Maker winner didn't need any of those value plays. You can call Kadarius Tony a value play. He was on the bottom up bill, but he was also a bonus piece. He was somebody who we highlighted lots of times throughout the week, given all the reasons why I really liked him last week. Obviously, we, you know, there's no way to see 32 point whatever points, but the thing is we have to identify the players who can get there and understand why they can get there. Uh, and so basically this roster had no quote value pieces, no bottom up build pieces. None were required. You didn't even need to go to that last step. It was just, here's the build around. Here's the sharp, the sharpest plays on the slate. Let's see how much of that we can fit on a roster together and see what that leads to. Okay. So the last things I want to talk about here, there's actually two other rosters I was going to break down. One of them started out with a 
oh, whatever, we got time, right? Let me break down these other two rosters. So one of them scored 246, and I believe this one won the power sweep. This one had, again, same starting point as our other roster. It had Herbert, Eckler, Mike Williams. It had Kadarius Toney. It had Devontae Adams. And what this roster did is it put in Leonard Fournette instead of Alexander Madison. Now, they won first place, right? They had a great weekend, uh, 150K first place finish. So we're not criticizing this roster, but we want to look at this and say, could they have done something better from a process standpoint? Well, if we played out that site 100 times, Leonard Fournette was 22% owned. Sure, Madison was 50% owned. But w- what do you need Leonard Fournette for? How often is Leonard Fournette, like the 22% owned, 50% owned, those are massively owned players. That's higher owned than even what the cash line is, right? Like top 20% in tournaments cash, 22% have Leonard Fournette. So you're really not gaining any strategy edge. You're just saying you think he's a better play. Well, in what world is Leonard Fournette going to outscore Alexander Madison more often than not, given all the question marks with Fournette's role and all the certainty with Madison's role? C.D. Lamb, who, as we talked about a lot this last week, the Cowboys are very much a run-first offense. And this is where we see, uh, you know, I'm not inside of this person's head where they're building, but Kadarius Tony's on this roster. And we see that auto bring back sometimes where people are like, oh, I have to correlate everything. Well, the, the story of Kadarius Tony having a tournament winning score has nothing to do with the Cowboys pass catchers having a tournament winning score. It only has to do with the, Cow- with the Giants being down weapons and with the Giants, as we talked about over and over again, two weeks ago, emphasizing Tony in their offense, recognizing that Tony is raw, quote, not ready for the NFL. And so because of that, they had to design plays specifically for him. And Jason Garrett did a really good job two weeks ago, nine targets, almost all of which were specifically designed to go to Tony or he was the first read on those plays. They were simplifying things for Tony to get him the ball. And that's very different from a guy just randomly having nine targets. That's why we identified Deontay Johnson two year, or last year when he was 3.9K, 4.2K, is these weren't random 10-target games. These were plays over and over and over again where the play was designed to get him open or designed to go to him. So we saw that with Kadarius Tony two weeks ago. We were able to capitalize on it this last week. That doesn't mean you need to bring back from the Cowboys. So we end up on this roster with Leonard Fournette, CeeDee Lamb, Ricky Seals-Jones, and the Washington football team. And it kind of cut off some of these paths to additional upside. So starting with from the same point that we started with, and then also fitting in those super sharp uh, individual one-off plays. But instead of getting a bring back from the the Browns, which again, you've got a pocket passer in Herbert. You're basically saying that Herbert is going to go for, you know, four or five touchdowns. You're saying that the Chargers are going to score 35 to 40 plus points. How do they do that without one of these Browns players doing something? They don't. It, it can't happen. And so Leonard Fournette, CeeDee Lamb, where you could have an Alexander Madison, Kareem Hunt, it, it just kind of highlights those little extra things that we can think about where Yes, it's really hard to get all of these pieces together, but once you get there, also think about, okay, what did I hear on Inner Circle this week, and how can we kind of put these final pieces together? And actually, with that, I won't go over this last roster, because the next thing I wanted to talk about, do this myself, is let us be the coach in your head as you're building rosters. As I'm building rosters, I will often 
assess them through the eyes of what Zandamir and Hilo talked about on that week's podcast, or what Blender has talked about, or what Cubs fan has said in conversations, what Mike has said in conversations. So it's like you build a roster and then you say, okay, let me let this second voice, let me let this coach enter into my head and assess this roster for me. What would they say about this roster? What if, if I were looking at your roster? What might I say? You listen to me all the time. You know what I think about your roster before it goes into play. So use that, right? Take that opportunity to say, okay, I listen to JM on Inner Circle every week. I listen to him in the Angles podcast. I read his stuff. What would he say about this roster? What should I do differently, right? Like take that ownership and then start finding those little extra places where you can gain those additional edges. So I had that note, I think last week and the week before that I wanted to mention that to you guys it just didn't fit in. But let us be the coach in your head and think about that as you get to the end of the week, as you get to your builds and you're asking, okay, am I doing this right? Is this coming together the way that it's supposed to be coming together? Is this set up for a first place finish? Okay. What would JM say about this roster? What would Hilo say about this roster? What would Zandamir say about this roster? That can help a lot. The next thing I want to talk about and two things, and then we will get to questions. Build fearlessly. Fear is at the root of most bad DFS rosters. What's tough is that it's tough to build fearlessly when you have money at stake. So as soon as it's all well and good on Tuesday, Wednesday, to be like, yeah, I'm going to build fearlessly this week. If I lose everything this week, that's fine. You know, you can kind of reach that breaking point of like week seven or eight, where you keep kind of holding on to the plays that you feel a little bit safer about. And then you keep not making money. And then finally, by like week eight or nine, you can be like, well, screw it. Like holding on so tightly to, to these plays didn't work. So let me build fearlessly this week. Sometimes that can lead to a huge weekend. Sometimes it can be lead to building too fearlessly. But build fearlessly. And I'm going to give you, I want to say a homework assignment, but I want to strongly encourage you to do this this week. Okay. And that is build five rosters for really cheap contests. Contests you don't typically play. Let's say you typically play 50 bucks a weekend, right? Find a $3 contest. I don't even do they have the they still have the quarter arcade, the 25 cent contest. Like find something that just allows you to practice building fearlessly. Now here's the key. Once you do this, once you build fearlessly for this contest, there's a chance that you're going to want to then put this into higher dollar contests. Don't force yourself to build some rosters this week that you are only going to put into cheaper contests. Don't just build dumb, right? Don't just say, okay, like, let me throw this together. Let me take some risks. Think about all these things that we just talked about in tonight's segment, how we would put together one of these rosters that can get a first place finish that embraces something, you know, that Tampa roster, we really didn't embrace much discomfort at all. The only discomfort there is like Brady's a pocket passer and you got to guess between two of the three pass catchers, two of the three receivers on the Bucks. That's not that much discomfort. And we're putting up a 250 plus point score just from kind of taking the player grid. The, the Charger stack embraced a little bit more discomfort. Be willing to kind of put in the time and actually say, even if, even if this is the only play you do this week, if you don't have time to do this and your normal play, 
Or if doing this, you keep kind of conflating it with what you're doing in your other play and you keep thinking, well, I really want to put this roster. Now that I'm thinking this way, I want to put this roster into my normal play. And so, okay, I'll do something different on these cheaper rosters. Like even if, even if you have to take a week to say, okay, this week on the main slate, the only thing I'm going to do is play these five cheap rosters. Even if that's what you do, that can pay you back so much over time because you can force yourself to see what it's like to build without any fear of losing that money any fear of losing. You can say, look, let me use this weekend as a training weekend. Let me use this weekend as sort of a preseason, so to speak, or bye week on which I'm getting focused on getting better instead of focused on trying to make money and build fearlessly on five rosters where you embrace some risk or take on some discomfort that you wouldn't normally take on. And that can give you such a a boost heading into future weeks where you kind of understand, okay, like I now understand what it's like to build like this. I now understand what it's like to build good rosters fearlessly targeting first place finishes. And that kind of ties into this last thing I want to mention, which we talk about this time to time. We'll talk about it some more throughout the year, but it's a good place to highlight some specifics here. And that is hunting for edges. DFS is about making money and diving into the biggest contest on the main slate isn't finding your biggest edge. Diving into the biggest contest on the main slate on DraftKings is not your biggest edge. So maybe this week you build fearlessly on five cheap rosters on the main slate and that's all you do on the main slate. But you also a little bit on FanDuel, where you know we've talked for years that FanDuel used to be, we won't get into all the reasons why, but FanDuel used to be actually harder to win on and easier for bad players to win on because of all the extra variants on there. But now that all the content has shifted over to DraftKings content and all the sharps are focused primarily on DraftKings and FanDuel has changed their scoring structure and their roster construction structure so that it emphasizes variance less. There's now an edge on FanDuel. It used to be like the bigger edge was on DraftKings, and that's why everything shifted over to DraftKings. There's now a bigger edge on FanDuel, right? Softer competition, softer pricing. Play on FanDuel a little bit. Play on Yahoo and take advantage of all that overlay this week. Play the Monday to Thursday two-game slate. Play the short slates on Sunday. Play the flash drafts that we've talked about, those in-game drafts. And then Rotomaven sent me this today. Alexander Madison was over 50% owned on the main slate. Alexander Madison was about 10% owned in some of the full weekend slates. We have late swap on those slates, but so many people just set their rosters and move on. I'm sure as you got into higher and higher dollar buy-ins, that Madison's ownership went up and up and up, but it certainly would have been lower on any of those full week slates than it was on the weekend slates. And so finding those little places where you can say, okay, let me play the full weekend slate, but play it as if I'm just playing Sunday or play it as if I'm playing Sunday to Monday, right? Or let me, you know, you can wait till Saturday to build those rosters. Let me play those short slates. Let me play the flash drafts. Let me play the, uh, the, the two game slates, the Monday to Sunday night, the Monday to Thursday night. Let me play Yahoo. Let me play FanDuel. Uh, and so maybe this week you say, okay, look, I have two goals this week. One is to practice building fearlessly. And that'll be five rosters on the main slate on like some cheap contests. And I'm still going to put in time. I'm not just going to throw this money away because then it's pointless. The, the point here is to see what it would really be like to build rosters 
fearlessly. You're going to do that. And then also say, okay, and then outside of that, I'm just going to hunt for edges and scoop up extra money here, there, everywhere. Beatles song. Um, and, you know, find those places where you can, you can actually carve out extra edge, bank on extra money over time. You would not even have to be like a great DFS player to make money over time on Yahoo, where there's soft competition and overlay, right? You're not having to pay rake. So you're already better than that competition. And there's overlay. You're better than the competition on FanDuel. You're better than the competition that's playing these shorter slates, right? So find those places where you can actually make extra money as well. And so that would be a couple things that I would keep in mind this week are give yourself an opportunity to practice building fearlessly. And I know how these things work, right? Like maybe 30, 40% of you right now are like, yeah, that's a good idea. I think I'll do that this week. And then by the time we get to this weekend, 5% of you will actually do it. Be in that 5%, okay? Actually do that. Even if you play the main slate, even if you play your normal play on the main slate, build some cheap rosters this week that allow you to focus on building fearlessly. And then again, uh, hunt for some edges in other spots. That is going to do it for what I have on my end. So Aaron, if you want to hop up, I think what we'll do is we'll get to as many questions as we can um, before 5.30 West Coast, 8.30 East Coast, um, and just see what we're able to hit this week. Awesome. Thanks. Um, I wanted to add to that just real quick on a little bit of the FOMO that you were talking about. I know Todd covered it on uh, the podcast Reflect with Hilo today. Uh, one of the things I did last year, and it was actually suggested by, I believe you or somebody in the OWS community, was to take those inexpensive tournaments and use those as your FOMO plays, um, getting exposure to guys that you want to play um, that you don't want to miss out on, but you can play them in kind of these lower dollar tournaments. So at the end of the day, you feel like you have uh, taken care of that need of that FOMO, which allows you to open up your roster elsewhere. So just a thought on that. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Yeah, I think that's really cool. I mean, it's basically taking the opposite approach, right? It's like saying, hey, I am going to build fearlessly. I'm going to build for first place in my normal contests. And since I have this little leak, that's a very natural human leak of like, these are the plays I'm afraid to miss out on. I will still play those plays in cheaper contests. I think that's really sharp as well. I would say that the starting point would be using the cheaper contest for practice on building fearlessly and do that for one week and then say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to transfer my fearless play to my normal play. Cause that's where it should be. And then say, and if I've got some FOMO plays, some guys I'm afraid to miss out on, let me get some exposure to them. But yeah, on cheaper contests, I, I think that's really sharp. I like that a lot. And you covered so many of the questions here. So um, I'm going to ask the questions here for you. And if you feel like uh, we covered or want to add anything to it, um, feel free to. We have about seven questions here. Um, so this one's from Smart Plays. And this was uh, came in after the Hilo and Zandamir um pod on saturday night so it was directed at them but i thought this would be good for this uh, uh this segment here he said i've heard hilo and zandamir say that they don't start with a qb when making a roster and i'm not really understanding why that is he goes deeper into uh, uh exactly his process but i wanted to see if you could kind of discuss i guess your starting points of uh players so i think that one of the things that Xandamir was saying in particular was I don't and Xandamir was in earlier. So Xandamir, if you're here, feel free to 
hop in, but I think he hopped out maybe 15, 20 minutes ago. Um, I think one of the things that he was saying is from like a, a, a field perspective, what the field does, right, is they just start top down. Quarterback is the position that you know all the players. Quarterback is where you are, like the first roster spot listed. And so a lot of people just kind of go, okay, quarterback, who do I want? And then they let that decide what stack they're going to add in, right? Like, oh, I like this quarterback this week. Oh, I'll I'll pair him with one of his wide receivers. And that's kind of what the field often does. So for me, right, like I'm not starting, quote, starting my rosters from anywhere. I want to know what games and teams have potential to post the had to have it scores. I want to know where the most certainty is among running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. Some weeks it's like, hey, look. Kelsey's the only Kelsey could be the only tight end that scores 30 points. And so that's a player who I want to think about. Like he could score 30 points. And nobody else could score 15, right? Like if Waller's not on the slate and if Hawkinson's banged up and if uh, Kittle's out, you know, you've got Kelsey could be the only guy he could outscore everybody else by 15 plus points. Right. And so you want to kind of get a sense of the slate and where everything should go is how I do things. So then you have a sense of like, okay, whatever quarterback I'm playing, like I, I always am going to highlight, okay, here's the running quarterbacks on this slate and here's why I like them and where they might fit. But then I'm also going to say, okay, here's the games and teams, here's the individual players, and here's my understanding of where certainty lies at different positions and where the best place is to spend salary at different positions. So for me, it's more like I kind of get my list closer and closer down to what I will be using to build. And then, you know, it doesn't matter, right? Like you can have your team bet or your game bet, which is what your quarterback really often should be. And then you figure out what you piece around that. So I think that what they're saying is don't just start at the top of the roster and say, okay, here's the quarterback I like. And then let that determine things. You should be determining things kind of uh, like that's determining things from the wrong direction. It's like you determine that. And then that forces you into what you're doing from there, as opposed to your quarterback being part of what you're doing from like a different angle. So yeah, I, I think that Probably what you're doing in, in how you're building is probably on the right track, just guessing. But yeah, it's just you don't want to be the field that's like saying, okay, what quarterback do I like? Okay, I like this quarterback, so now I'll pair this wide receiver with him, and so on and so forth. It, it has to be kind of a deeper level than just that. All right, this is from ACS204. Listening to your roster construction course, and you mentioned how the DK pricing algorithm can't keep pace with the ascending wide receivers fast enough, like Deontay or OBJ, etc. He said, "Have you identified any wide receiver candidates that currently fit that profile?" Yeah, this guy Kadarius Tony. <laughs> um, so, for anybody who hasn't listened to that course, basically from what we understand like DraftKings doesn't make their pricing algorithm public but it's pretty apparent that what they weigh is recent production um and recent ownership so ownership is part of that so these when these cheaper wide receivers so what we said the examples i've used were the the 
OBJ and Mike Evans rookie year, once they got up to like 5,500, people were scared to pay for them because they'd started out, you know, down in the low 4Ks or high 3Ks as rookies. And so once they get to 5,500, people are like, oh, well, now I'm overspending on this. And they were still, you know, 12%, 15% owned those weeks, but they weren't like 40% owned because in a couple of weeks, those guys were going to be 7K, 8K. So the idea is to, rather than letting pricing psychology dictate the way you perceive players, instead allowing you know games and teams and all this to, to dictate the way you perceive the players, and then comparing that to pricing and being like, oh, this guy is underpriced. So yeah, then Deontay Johnson obviously was the example last year where nobody was rostering him at 4.2K. Nobody was rostering him at 3.9K. And we made a lot of money by just saying, cool, we'll take 10 plus targets and the occasional injured game where he gets zero points. Like we'll take that uh, because nobody else was was on. Actually, Deontay, nobody, still nobody rosters him, even though um, he's like the the greatest wide receiver ever in DFS because uh, all but like the most random games gets ten plus targets. Uh, but yeah, Kadarius Tony was was one of those this last week. I haven't had a chance yet because I was traveling yesterday. I haven't had a chance yet to watch the games yet from this last weekend. So I'm interested to see that game. Obviously, there's going to be a flood to him after a 32 point game at 4K in salary, but last week was was kind of the week to play him right we don't want we want to be on time for the party which means risking being early for the party as opposed to being late to the party but the uh this last week you know when you find a guy who it's like hey look this guy's 4k he only put up 13 points a week before there was nothing that like popped in his box score but if you watch the game it was like oh well this guy is going to be priced higher than this pretty soon um that's really what I have for now. Other guys I'm keeping an eye on. Um, I, I would guess that the Michael Pittman train has passed. I want to watch Paris Campbell this last game. So Paris Campbell was really high on Paris Campbell. You guys might remember that coming into the season. And he looked early in the season like he had really lost some explosiveness from the Achilles injury, which is not unusual. And it was like, man, maybe Paris Campbell's just washed. But I want to watch that game from last night. Uh, Paris Campbell, I mean, you know, it was a it was shootout and he had four catches. So it's not like he had some huge game, but um, he's a player with potential to ascend. And then Brandon Ayuk, only from a standpoint of talent and offense, where should this guy be priced? Well, 6K to 6,500. And where is he priced? like mid four Ks. Um, but usage is not there for him currently in this offense. So typically, yeah, it's going to be first year, second year guys. Brennan Ayuk was actually one last year that we were talking about at 4,200, 4,500, 4,700. And it was like, Hey, you guys, this guy's going to be six K in a little bit. Um, Cortland Sutton, we already had that this year when he was under five K and we said, this is a $6,500, seven K wide receiver. And he's priced under five K take advantage of it. The week we took advantage of it, uh, he ended up totally bombing, and then it was the next week that he put up thirty plus points. But um, but yeah, so I'll I'll keep an eye out for that, and obviously kind of keep mentioning that as we see them. But the good thing is they're not just strictly early season things. These come up throughout the season because of changing roles, because of newer players getting an opportunity or whatever it might be, and we can kind of get a sense of look, did this guy have a big game and everybody's going to jump on him? But he really is like a, a forty five hundred dollar wide receiver, or 
is this a 6K, 6,500 wide receiver that we're getting really cheap right now? And by identifying that, we can kind of go heavier on him than the field is going to go. Um, so yeah, none that are really popping out right now. Kadarius Tony, Cortland Sutton, Michael Pittman have been the examples so far this year. Um, and again, we were early on, on, on Sutton. We missed the boat on Pittman. I missed the boat on Pittman and we were right on time on, on Kadarius Tony, but um, yeah, we'll keep an eye on that for sure. And I love that. Love that question. That's something we should always be thinking about. All right. This is a follow-up from ACS 204. So do you have a preference in having a one-off player in your build be a low price player like Kadarius Tony or a high price chalky player like Devonte Adams? Is there a order of strategy thinking that goes into how you deploy uh, one-off spots on the otherwise highly correlated lineup? It's a great question. So I, I guess in a vacuum, I don't really have an answer. I was going to say in a vacuum, the cheaper guy, because 30 points from a cheap low-owned guy is more valuable than... 40 points from an expensive high owned guy, but we don't know what the points are going to be before games start. And so Kadarius Tony, he might have two 30 point games all season. That might've been his only 30 point game all season. Whereas Devonte Adams is going to have five or six 30 point games. And he's probably going to have multiple 40 point games. Um, and from a raw points perspective, Dante Adams, let's say Kadarius had put up like 22 instead of 32. From a raw points perspective, Devontae Adams' 40 points at high ownership was actually more important to have than Kadarius Tony's hypothetical 22 points at low ownership at 4K in salary um, because it's just that much harder to find a 40-point score. So to me, it's not an either-or. You notice that in these hypothetical rosters I was building tonight, we left Derrick Henry off. So there is an element of saying like, Oftentimes you can't fit everybody. The player like Alexander Madison, who's like super clearly mispriced, is obviously going to be the most important one for me. And I had I had him on five out of six. And the only reason I didn't have him on six out of six was because I wanted at least one strategy angle without him. I actually thought going into Sunday that I had a Madison and Jefferson roster and then a uh, non-Madison and Jefferson roster, but I ended up changing my Madison plus Jefferson roster. So I had um you know, five with Madison and then one without Madison, but with Eli Mitchell and with Justin Jefferson, right? To just try to do something differently. Um, and then, like I said, like my non-Devante, I, I had Aaron Jones. So yeah, you want to identify like who your core plays are and then recognize that not all of them can fit and not all of them are going to hit. You know, it's like this last weekend, it's fun to go through examples of, hey, my core was Derrick Henry who scored 34 and, and Devontae Adams who scored 40 and Kadarius Tony who scored 32 at 4K and Alexander Madison who we all had, but, um, you know, scored 30 plus at 5,500. Like, that's great, but that's not always going to happen. And also when you're cutting guys out, you have to recognize, um, okay, they're, they're not all going to hit. And so hopefully I end up cutting out the right or or cutting out the right guy, keeping the right guy uh, for this week. And yeah, it's just kind of a salary thing. And then also a, an understanding of how they really fit from a certainty perspective. So somebody like Devonte Adams, who is the entire offense is built around him. Let's say it was Stefan Diggs versus Kadarius Tony. And we really liked Stefan Diggs this last week. In that example, it would be Kadarius Tony would be the guy I would like more. Stefan Diggs were 25% owned because Diggs, a lot of things have to go right for him to get to 40 points. And 
he could get 12, 13, 14 points, even in a phenomenal spot. Whereas Devontae Adams, because the entire offense is built around him, it's way less likely that he goes for under 20. He can go for 40 plus with semi-regularity. And so that specific example, it's kind of like, Either or, right? It's a toss-up. But if you got into a different popular player like Derrick Henry versus Kadarius Tony, then it's Kadarius Tony because there's more ways for Derrick Henry to fail. And Kadarius Tony, I mean, even even like we talked about this last week. I kept thinking about this as I was building rosters. Two of Derrick Henry's last four games against the Jaguars, he just absolutely bombed. Derrick Henry's last four games against the Jaguars. Now, two of his last four games were legendary DFS games, but two of them he absolutely bombed, right? So if that had happened this last Sunday, you gain a huge edge by not having him. So in that in that question, if the question had been Derrick Henry or Kadarius Tony, the answer would be Kadarius Tony because you're thinking through, hey, what is this guy's likelihood of posting a had to have it score? What is this guy's likelihood? I'll say it like this. What is this guy's likelihood posting a had to have it score? compared to the other players at his position. So this last week, there weren't that many high-priced wide receivers that you could feel great about them going for 30-plus, which made Devontae Adams that much more valuable. Derrick Henry, you could say, well, you know, Derrick Henry could have a great game and still get 27 points because he doesn't typically catch passes. We're expecting the Titans to control this game. Zeke could get there. Austin Eckler could get there. Chubb could get there. Some of these cheaper guys could get there. Swift, Madison, Hunt. And so Derrick Henry versus Kadarius Tony, if you're talking just salary, uh, Kadarius Tony becomes more valuable. So yeah, it's kind of a, a convoluted answer, but hopefully there's some key points in there that you can kind of take away moving forward. All right, this is from V Peluso, and this is a, a long question, but I'm going to shorten it here and um, frame it in a way to help you answer it here. So early in the week, uh, he was on the Chargers Brown game. And as the week went on, um, he found that the game seemed to be more of a, a, a good NFL game and not necessarily a, a good DFS game. Um, so he ended up getting off of it. And he wants to know, uh, how do you handle early week thoughts on a spot like this that you think you're going to really like? Then as the week goes on, you see all the reasons it might not be so good. Ooh, I love it. So... One of the, it took me a long, long, long time to overcome this is fading early week thoughts. And there can be this tendency to put in all this time and thought Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then almost start from scratch on Friday and Saturday. And instead of building off of everything you've thought about throughout the week, you end up kind of like, okay, well, let me start now. And it's so valuable to allow those early week thoughts to be the foundation. The tough thing is like that Browns Chargers game could have been a 21 to 17 game. You never would have wondered this. You never would have even had this this question you would have thought oh well good thing i moved off of it um whereas the truth is we should always be thinking about it if we played out this slate a hundred times if we played out this slate a hundred times that game is going to disappoint more often than not that's why the line i mean there is nothing more, more efficient than vegas lines right like in this world that's the most efficient thing we can look at and that game had plunged whatever it was like two and a half or three points 
in the over-under. And so, yeah, there were a lot of negative data points from that game. But then there's also the other thing we talk about, which is if you're thinking negatively about a game, positively. So especially since you were already thinking positively about that game, it, it takes, honestly, this is part of the skill of DFS is like, all, throughout the week, all you're going to hear is that this game that you like is you're wrong on it. It's the wrong game to be on. And you have to say, I'm going to be fearless on, you know, if you're a single entry player, which you might be, then it's really tough. But you have to be willing to say, okay, well, on a couple of my rosters, I'm going to build around this game. Or if you're a single entry player to say, well, why, like, keep examining it. Say, why did I like this game? Am I okay? Is my argument for this game shooting out? And I mean, all these guys were like 2% owned, 3% owned, 5% owned. So is this game going to shoot out more than once every like 20 to 30 times? And if you can argue that, yeah, it definitely will shoot out more than once every 20 to 30 times. One easy way to identify that is just go back through the Browns game logs from the last year and a half go back to the chargers game logs from the last year and a half do they have games where they're putting up 30 to 35 to 40 points yes both teams do right and so you can see like oh this could actually happen way more often than people are thinking it's also going to happen less often than i would want it to like there's going to be plenty of times where i bet on a game like this and am wrong i use that example of that bears lions game i had that where I had that 12th place Millie Maker finish and I won a qualifier or a couple qualifiers and um, just had this this huge weekend from this Bears-Lions game that went, I think the final score was 37 to 31 in overtime. Uh, Jay Cutler with the Bears and Matthew Stafford and Calvin Johnson. It was when Calvin Johnson, everyone, the narrative was like, oh, Calvin Johnson's not good anymore. And all I heard all week was, no, you're wrong. That's not the game to bet on. All I heard on the Friday night show that week was no, don't, don't bet on Alvin Johnson. Don't bet on Jay Cutler and Alshon Jeffrey. Right. And so you have to have that fortitude, that fearlessness to say, yeah, there's all these reasons why this could be wrong, but it's going to be right more often than the field is giving it credit for. And if it's right, I win all the money. All the money, because all, all anybody's thinking about is why it's wrong. Like this roster we put together, all we did was just fit in a couple obvious value plays and our favorite blue chip and bonus pieces around a, like the most one of the most obvious ways to stack that game. And it puts up, you know, 10 more points, 12 more points in the Millie Maker winner. Um, and so, again, you win all the money if you're right. And so it's it's it's. Just being able to say like, hey, look, if you're, especially if you're building multiple rosters, say, well, let me keep probing on this game. Let me keep identifying why I like this game. And okay, here's all the argument, arguments for why it's wrong. That's fine. What are the arguments for why it's right? What is everybody missing, right? Like read, talk about letting somebody be the, the coaching voice in your head. Go read Larejo's willing to lose or his missed opportunities and and let Larejo's voice bleed into your head. Like what would Larejo say about you liking that game from the beginning of the week? You know, it's like, well, go for it, right? Like, describe to me why this game could blow up. Well, Justin Herbert is going against his own defense, and they're going to throw a lot, and they've got great weapons, and 
oh, the Browns can score in bunches. The Chargers can't stop the run. Okay, that's good enough, right? Like, so yeah, it's a tough thing. It's so easy to scrap the first four or five days of the week and then like start over on Friday. So that's one thing that, that we need to break away from is, is using those. We need to allow those early week thoughts to be our foundation. And that doesn't mean like, think about last week. I broke down how I would go game by game looking at the quarterbacks, right? Didn't end up using Daniel Jones or Dak Prescott or Jared Goff or Kyler Murray on any of my rosters. And those were those guys and Trey Lance were the quarterbacks I mentioned. I had uh, two of my six rosters were Trey Lance rosters. Um, so like early week thoughts can't be everything. They can't be what you're tied to, but they do need to be your foundation and what you kind of start working from. And then again, when everybody's telling you why a game is wrong, that's awesome. Awesome. If you started out the week thinking that this game could shoot out and then all you're hearing is why it won't. Okay. Yeah. Obviously there are reasons why it won't. There are reasons why the bucks aren't going to put up, you know, four touchdowns against the dolphins. Like we can always, they're not as strong of reasons, but we can always come up with the reasons. Right. But if everybody's doing that, then that means nobody's thinking about stacking that game. And then that gives you just this super clear path to first place where you're like, Hey, if this is the one time out of if everybody thinks it's like a one in 30 shot, but it's really a one in 10 shot, a one in 12 shot. And this is the one time in 12 that it hits. Great. I win all the money and and I win all the money for the next 10 years of my DFS play. The next 15 years of my DFS play uh, because I'm the only one who was being fearless with this game. So um, yeah, it's a, that's a tough one, but just kind of start swatting aside all the negative thoughts from other people and say, okay, cool. You all are coming up with the reasons why this could fail. Have you thought about the reasons why it might not? fail. And and that's where we gained a huge edge. All right. This is the last question. Um, This is a a common question, Jam. So it's from the Sly Hog. I'm still working to build a process I can trust. I'm trying not to overreact to a single week or a single event to scrap pieces of the process, but I also don't want to get stuck in a process that doesn't work. How did you know when it was time to make changes in your own process? I think a process is always fluid. I think I process is always 80% complete. That makes sense. Like for me, I never consider my process totally finished. I'm always thinking of, of new things I can look at, new things I can add in. I'm always being flexible. I think one of the best things you can do, this is going to sound funny, right? But like one of the best things you can do is go for a walk or watch a comedy or, or meditate or go get in the hot tub like Xandamir, right? Like do something that makes it feel less like you have to control everything and get everything just right. I think that there's this tendency like to think that once you get your process to the right point, now it's a machine that just runs on its own. And what we're really trying to do is kind of every slate is very different. Every slate's very different. So the sooner we realize that, the sooner we realize that a large part of what our process should be geared toward is understanding that week's slate and understanding what the edges are on that week's slate. So 
as we kind of sit there and, and we're kind of in this tighter space where it's like, okay, here's my steps. I do this, 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 and this. What we're so focused on is these little micro things. And it's harder to step back, see the macro of like, okay, what does this slate offer? How do I come at this slate? And there's also this element of, it's like what Blender always says. Blender's like, okay, well, maybe, maybe people with a bunch of NFL knowledge have, you know, if they're not overrating their knowledge, if they're still leaning into strategy and all that, maybe people with superior NFL knowledge have like a five or 10% edge over me. But I could spend, you know, 15 hours listening to the podcast to get a sense of what the field is going to be doing and then spend one hour building rosters and make more money than you know, 95% of the field and not be like trying to control every little thing, not be trying to put in all this time, not be putting in these 40 hours a week or whatever it might be. And so I think that when you get in this, this thought of like, okay, I have to get everything right. I have to nail everything down. I have to get all my processes set just right it becomes more about like taking these steps each week and thinking that that is the key. Sometimes it's like, you just have to step back and let go a little bit. It's like when, when somebody will ask me like, Hey, um, this player or this player, or uh, I've been uh, Josh Morano and I've been talking a lot lately about his DFS play. And so I keep using him as an example, but this last week he asked me like, Hey, my, I usually get down to, um, this number of players in my wide receiver pool, this number of players in my running back pool, but this week I have like a lot more than that. Like, what do you do when that's the case? And what I said to him was, well, if you are not able to narrow them down any further, you're basically saying that these guys are all even plays in your mind. And as soon as you identify that they're all even plays in your mind, any extra time put in is really just wasted time because you might dive in and find like some little tidbit about this matchup but then you go watch the game and you get reminded that NFL game is chaos. There's stuff happening all over the field all the time. And some like random thing has to happen for this guy to have a huge game. Right. And so it's, it's not that you're going to get down to this little fine point and get things exactly right. As soon as you say, Hey, look, I can't narrow this down any further. Oh, okay. Well then stop worrying about it. Now you're saying all these players are toss ups in your mind. So take the lower owned player or take the player who better fits with your salary allocation, take the player that allows you to do this with this game stack, take the player that, uh, you know, gives you some sort of strategy edge in whatever way, or take the player you just feel most comfortable with um, and, and recognize that, okay, I identified that this is as close as I can get to figuring out who the quote best play out of this group is. So now my work is done. Like I can't do any more than that. Um, and so let the chips fall where they may and recognize that there's variance involved in NFL and DFS. And so, yeah, like the, I want, I want to drill those things in because it's freeing and it allows us to kind of step back a little bit and play the correct game where if we get so focused on like the little steps in the process, it can be again, more mechanical and more about drilling each little step and thinking that that's going to get us to the right answer. But what we really need is to be able to step back, see the slate as a whole figure out what the strategy is on that slate and then attack things accordingly. So I would say like, a, keep in mind that your process is never complete. You're always kind of like, Hey, this, these are the kind of main things I'm looking for. Like, okay. So for me, I want to identify who the blue chip plays are. I want to identify who the light blue chips, the bonus pieces are like the guys who are not quite the blue chip, but still have that had to have it upside. I want to identify the games and teams that can post had to have it upside. And I want to identify the value plays. I could 
build 20 different processes that allow me to find those components each week. I've settled into you know, a good rhythm that allows me to find those things, but that always kind of shifts a little bit. But the starting point and the end point should be clear. The end point is finding these categories for my rosters. And then you can kind of be fluid in what that looks like and kind of always adjust your process. And then again, remember that it's not about the mechanical steps in the process. It's largely about being able to step back, see the slate as a whole and find the strategy angles that will help you um, that week. So you said that was the last question. Uh, G Negro 612 has his hand raised. We haven't brought anybody up on stage for a little while. So I want to bring him up real quickly and then we will get out of here. Let's do it. I just sent him the invite and he's up there with you. Awesome. What's up, man? What's up, guys? How you doing? Doing well, doing well. All right. So here's my question. I did end up on the Browns and Chargers. I was looking through the injury report and saw that the Browns were really banged up on defense. Still there? I heard a can. How about now? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you now. All right, so I had a stack of the Browns-Chargers game, and I was wondering, I paired that with Darren Waller instead of paying down at tight end, and I was wondering if that was too cute and if I should have went more chalk since my game stack was really, really low-owned. Yeah. Man, it's so tough. So it's it's like with Waller this last week, the way I looked at him, and I had one Waller roster, and I, I hated doing it because it forced me to not have Devontae Adams, just the way the salary worked out. And the thought was exactly what Zandamir and Hilo said on Saturday. It's like, like Waller could score. We don't ever really know when his 12 to 14 to 19 target games are coming. And he could score 30 plus points and just blow away everybody else. But the roster where I played Waller, it was very specifically to say, okay, let me do this as a starting point and then see what else I can like build around. Like now I've done something really different at tight end. My, my structure of my roster is totally different. I have this high upside player that nobody else is on. And now let me see what else I build around this. So yeah, if you like, once you have that Browns stack, Browns charger stack, and you know, nobody's on it and you have three or four pieces from that game, it's kind of like, from there, for me, the next step literally is like, who are my favorite plays? Let me fit them in. So if Waller was, because you could very easily have said, like, you could have painted a case to say, hey, Waller was my favorite play, and here's the reasons why. And then the answer is, no, it's not too cute. Like, you play your favorite plays. But yeah, if you're saying, like, I did this for strategy purposes, uh, then yeah, as soon as you put, as soon as you put that, super low owned stack on you can literally just go favorite plays across the board from there and i think that's one of the big things that um I'm kind of thinking that might be one of the things we focus on next week is kind of this understanding of how far is too far in trying to be different and so yeah once you have one of those stacks like a stack that nobody's on and you can say okay what's the as as Hilo would say the combinatorial ownership of these three or four guys like how many rosters in a 10,000 entry field have these three or four guys together? Probably none, probably only you, you know? And so then when you say that, it's like, okay, cool. Who are my favorite plays? And, and 
not be cute from there, not be strategic from there. Um, and it's tough. It's tough because in the moment, once you find something like that, you're still going to convince yourself, okay, let me, let me stick on this build. Let me stick on Brown's chargers. Uh, let me block out the noise that's saying this is a bad play. Let me trust myself on this. And then you still have to think through all those other spots on your roster. So it's, it's hard to do as is anything in DFS, but yeah, it's that the hardest thing is finding that stack. And so trusting that was awesome. And then just moving forward, once you have like, a, if you hit on a super low owned one like that, then you can just say, okay, cool. Like I'm good to go now. All right. Thank you, Jam. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, let's go ahead. And if anybody needs to hop out, feel free to hop out. We're going to answer one more question and then we'll get out of here. Uh, the franchise I am, I think I'm inviting you to speak. Aaron, why don't you invite him? Oh, invite sent. The franchise, if you want to accept that, you can hop on up, ask your question. There we go. How's it going? Hey, guys. Can you hear me? Hey. You hear me? Sir. Okay, great. Um, so a uh, couple things. First, uh, Mike Johnson, I think in last week's reflection, talked about kind of flipping, if you play $100 uh, in your tournaments, kind of flipping that to the lower dollar ones like you were talking about and using that to kind of iterate through your thoughts. Um, and just that is something I did last week. And just for all of you out there that may have haven't tried that yet, I highly recommend doing that because that was very helpful last week. Which gets me to my question. Uh, every week this week, this year at least, my last lineup that I land on has been my highest scoring. So I typically play anywhere from just around like 20 lineups. Typically last week I played a little bit more than that. But, but almost every week my last lineup I put together and put in is my highest scoring. I guess my question is, is there a way to speed that up? Cause I often find myself like landing on that lineup, really liking it and then wanting <laughs> more time, I guess you could say to kind of iterate through to, to make it a little bit better. And I realize, you know, there's obviously last minute news and injuries and, and things like that that could, that contribute to that. But outside of that, um, maybe two things. One, do you ever find yourself with that? And then secondly, is there a way to kind of speed that process up to get to it maybe before, you know, 1230 Eastern time, if you will? Yeah. So when I used to build one roster, typically I would build, you know, like 80 rosters throughout the week. And then that end of week roster, everything would kind of come together. And I remember several times, when Cubs fan was like, I built 150 rosters this week. Your one roster outscored all of mine. <laughs> and it was just like, I obviously I had more time then, but it was, it was like the more time I spent with the slate, the more comfortable I was getting to that point where it was like, okay, here's what I'm doing. Here's this roster. And it sounds basically like, without without being single entry right that's still kind of the same thing you're going through and another thing you talked about too at the end of that was like being able to then i like examine that roster and say okay maybe i can improve it a little bit here right like if you had a little bit of extra time you could say um okay here's the roster right and i know that maybe six or seven of these ro roster spots are certain let me poke around on this and see if there's anything different and i've had weeks in the past like that where 
especially when I was still a single entry player where things would come together by Saturday afternoon, maybe, or even Friday evening. And I could then spend the rest of the time just kind of challenging that roster, trying to poke holes and trying to see places where I could gain like a little bit of extra ground. Every once in a while, I remember one of those, um, it was 2018, first year of OWS, uh, Josh Allen's rookie year. Abby was shooting a wedding in Breckenridge, but she was pregnant. So I went with her and uh, it, I had my roster by like Friday night because uh, it was Josh Allen stack as we were doing to the entire stretch run of that season. Um, and I remember like sitting there in the hotel room on Saturday and just kind of being like, okay, I feel like I can improve this roster a tiny bit. And, and it's great to have a roster like that where you're like, Hey, I know this roster is really good. I'm going to keep kind of poking around on it and see if I can improve it. You know, a little bit. I actually had, I came up with something, you know, like right before I went to bed, ended up not making the change. I would have had added like 11 points to the roster. Um, I very vividly remember that, but, but yeah. And, and so it's like, it's great to get to that early, but the, big thing is recognizing that you're getting there and recognizing how you're getting there. Um, because yeah, if, if you can carve out more time in your week, right? Like your avatar, you got a, a wife and a kid, right? Like you, you're somewhat limited on time in the week. If you can carve out a little extra time in the week, maybe you get there a little bit sooner, but the big thing is recognizing that you're getting there and then rethinking like, Hey, maybe I want to play, little bit more single entry, or maybe I want to try to identify what this last best roster is and put it into something, you know, single entry, a little bit higher dollar and maybe allocate my, my salary, my not salary, but my bankroll for the week differently. So say you play hundred bucks a week and you maybe spread it across 10 rosters, 10 bucks a piece. Instead, you can say, Hey, this last roster, maybe I'll put 50 bucks on this one. And then, you know, spread five bucks out on these other ones. The other thing too, though, is as soon as you make a shift like that, it can change your approach and you can start overthinking that last roster. So um, that's another thing that, you know, you might want to like, you want to balance all the elements here make sure that you're still keeping your process, um, but finding ways that you can ultimately get to that roster a little bit earlier, but also not force it because there also is kind of just a flow to the week and wherever you're getting to that roster, if you're getting to it late, then you can just say, cool, I get to it a little bit late, but I can put it into some higher dollar contests because I feel like my latest week roster is my best roster more often than not um, is a way to play it. So I'm going to go ahead and call it a night. I know that Abby needs some help with the kids. So I super appreciate you guys hanging out as always, as I said at the top. Um, yeah, I will see you guys on the site throughout the week. Things are starting to slow down on my end, so hopefully I'll be on Discord this week. I'll definitely be on Discord next week. So I will see you guys on the site throughout the week. I will see you at the top of the leaderboards this Sunday. Thanks for hanging out. Bye.